0: Right. So, hello everyone, and welcome to the AI Stories podcast. I'm Neil Leiser. I'm a data scientist at Iwaka, and I will be your host. So today, our guest is Joshua Starmer. Joshua is the founder of StatQuest, a YouTube channel which clearly explains complicated statistics and machine learning methods. And the channel actually now has around 700k subscribers. Josh studied computer science and music at Oberlin College and did a PhD in bioinformatics at North Carolina State University. He did a postdoc as an assistant professor at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and in 2015 he actually founded StatQuest. He is also a lead AI educator at grits.ai. So today we'll talk about getting started in data science. Josh's career, how to launch a YouTube channel, and also, of course, StatQuest. So if you're interested or enjoy the episodes, feel free to subscribe to my YouTube channel, subscribe to StatQuest, and follow us on LinkedIn. All right, so let's start with the fun now. Hi, Josh. How is it going?
1: Hi, Neil. It's going great. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast.
0: Thanks thank to you. Um I mean I'm a big fan of StatQuest. I'm watching a lot of videos. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Right. Yeah. All right, cool. So first I want to start with your bachelor like you've studied computer science and music, which is something yeah, not usual, I would say. So why did you uh-huh. start this? And why did you chose computer science rather than music
1: well i i grew up uh i grew up playing music my whole life um it was it was something that i just i i grew up playing the cello um and i just loved playing music and i thought music was what i wanted to do for a career because i've just been doing it my whole life uh interestingly enough i'd never done i did a little bit of programming but not like real programming you know like i'd done a little i guess scripting I'd, I'd done some scripting um before i went to college but i never i never did any programming until i went to college um and so i just kind of took i took a a programming class for for fun uh, just to see what it'd be like i mean i enjoyed scripting uh and i kind of fell in love with it um so I kind of pursued two degrees at the same time when I was in college, I got a degree in computer science and I got a degree in, in music, um, while I was there and I, you know, while I was, it's funny, while I was there, I, I discovered that I loved, I loved being able to do both. Uh, I loved, uh, I loved music obviously, but, but I, when I, when all I did was music all day, every day, um, I felt like there was something missing, uh, from, from my daily life. Uh, and also when I did computer programming all day, every day and nothing else, I, I felt like there was something missing. But when I did both, I, I felt like this is the way it should be. I should, I, I, I just felt like everything was there. Everything I needed, everything about me was, was in one place at the same time.
0: So, so is that why you're doing a music intro at the beginning of every stat video? I, I mean, it's, you know, uh, I love music and music is a part of my life.
1: And yes, uh, I just, I do a silly song and it's, it's supposed to be silly. It's not supposed to reflect how much I practice and what my level of talent, I guess it's supposed to be silly, but, but yeah, what the, what the song is, is yeah, it's a way for me to connect all the pieces of my life in one place. So when I record a stack quest, when I do a stack quest, you know, like making the slides and getting it ready and all that can take a long time, weeks, sometimes months. And the, what I do is is after I've recorded the whole video and I've kind of got it all good, the way I celebrate the completion of it is to, is to improvise on the spot, a silly song as an intro for my, for my video. And to me, it's just sort of like, it's my way of celebrating the completion of a project. So it's a, it's, it started off as it's a silly thing, obviously, uh, but it's also for me, it's just a, it's a way of saying I did it. Hooray. I'm all proud of myself.
0: <laughs> cool. No, I, I kind of like your songs. I think it it makes it funny and yeah, it makes a good vibe before watching the video. So yeah, I really like it.
1: Yeah. I've, I've heard, I've heard people tell me that they, the statistics and data science is, is, can be really intimidating and they're, and that they actually get nervous when they have to study it because they're they're kind of the material itself is scary. Uh, and they say that my silly song sort of like help put them at ease and realize that it's not super serious, that we can we can joke about it. We can have a good time and we can learn at the same time. and And so that's that's. That's a big motivation for a, I'm not, I mean, I told you, I grew up playing the cello. I didn't grow up singing. Uh, And so it's a good motivation for someone who's not very good at singing to just keep doing it.
0: (laughs) So you mentioned that you're doing both, right? You like computer science, you like music, but by looking at your LinkedIn profile, I can see like most of your experiences are in computer science. So why did you choose computer science rather than music in the end?
1: there's a couple there's a couple of reasons uh one there's more jobs in data science i mean that's that's a very pragmatic thing but but there's also sort of like uh interesting things uh that you may not uh know uh, so i have played i've actually played professionally i played music professionally mm-hmm. uh, for several mm-hmm. for years and it's it's very fun uh at first uh but one thing you don't realize uh when you're a professional musician or one thing i didn't realize about being a professional musician, is how little music you play. Uh, I think. I think there's a quote. I think it's attributed to Ronnie Wood, uh, the late drummer for the Rolling Stones, and he said, "Being a rock star is about five percent of the time you're playing rock and roll. Ninety-five percent of the time, you're just sitting around waiting." And that's very true. You you get to the venue. You're you're three hours early. N- there's no one even there to unlock it. You just sit in the parking lot and wait, you're, do- you're doing nothing. Your brain is, is turning into gelatin and, you know, they finally show up, you go in, you do your sound check, and then you wait around for another three or four hours before you actually play the show, you play the show. And then, you know, you get, you go to bed and the next day you get up and you get in the van and you drive for eight hours and you're just sitting around doing a whole lot of nothing. And it's actually, It's fun to play for about an hour. That's really great. But the rest of the day is completely boring and like mind-numbing. And not many people realize that. You know, you think the the life of a of a traveling musician is, is very glamorous, and you're staying in fancy hotels and, you know, and meeting fancy people. And yeah, fancy people are neat, fun to meet, but most of the time you're just sitting around waiting for something to happen, like waiting for the doors to open, waiting for food to arrive. It's, it's just waiting and waiting and waiting. Whereas one thing I like about programming is, is you can always do it. And, 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 and and what I like about it is it's, you know, it's engaging. uh, I like it engages my mind. uh, It's, and there's a lot of variety. Another I feel like I'm rambling here, but another thing people don't realize about being a musician is that playing the same music every day gets boring. (laughs) It's fun for a couple of weeks. You know, you're like, great. I know this music really well and I can play it really well. And then like a month later and you're like, I'm getting. I want to do something different. (laughs) I'm I'm bored out of my mind. I've been waiting around all day, and I and at the end of the day, I do the exact same thing I did yesterday. uh, To it, you know, with no variation, it's actually kind of boring. Uh, uh, So the thing I like about computing is there's always new problems. There's always new languages. There's always new stuff. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to do. You can do it all day. You can do it all night. Uh, you know, it's always there. And it's and it engages my mind in a fun and satisfying way. Uh, that uh, music, I mean, obviously, I love playing music and it's a way to express myself and it's great. And I still play music. It's not like I gave it up. I'm mm-hmm. still doing silly songs <laughs> and I'm still doing, I've got a couple of bands on the side. Uh, but making it a, a main focus of my life it was it was a conscious choice to to not do not pursue that is and and to do something that i th- i found ultimately more fulfilling and and more interesting and more satisfying which is data science
0: cool so you well you do your bachelor you realize that you really like computer science i guess that as you mentioned there are lots yeah. of things to learn and then you decide to do this phd in bioinformatics right so why do you decide to do a PhD? Like why not going into industry or yeah. Why, why do you make this choice? Yeah. So, so right out of
1: college, uh, I got my first job at a hospital uh, doing database work and it was a, uh, the, the there were some good and bad things about this job. The good things were I got to work with some amazing coworkers. I worked in this thing called the it lab and my coworkers, it was just like, I felt like we were the a team. it was like, the coolest, most inspiring people I've ever worked with uh, were there. And to this day, I kind of compare all of my current co-workers with who I had back then. They were just amazing. Uh, however, I, I didn't have the best boss. Um, and he was always getting me to do silly things, you know, like we'd have a meeting in his office and at the end of the meeting, he'd say he'd be like, and he he learned all this buzzwords, you know, he'd, he'd be able to say things like, okay, Starmer, I need you to SQL the router table ASAP. Can you do that? And I'm like, okay, I, I don't think you know what that means, but I'll get on it. Uh, and then on my way out of the office, he'd always say something like, and my printer's not working. Can you fix my printer? And I'd go over to the printer and it'd be flashing load paper into tray one, you know, and and just flashing at me. And so I'd go get some pr- pr- paper and I'd load it into tray one. And you know, you get that nice, satisfying slam when you really just move the that tray, uh, you know, and you slam it into the printer and it goes bam. And then all of a sudden, stuff starts printing out that he'd been trying to print for the last couple of days. And I'd go, All right, printer's done, printer's fixed. And he'd be like, Great. I love having you as an employee. Anyways, uh, I mean, he was a nice guy, but maybe not the most in- inspiring boss. Um, uh, and I had a lot of free time, uh, when I was working in the hospital and and I had fun. I mean, he'd always give me these really silly projects to do that really didn't take much time or were impossible, you know, like SQL, the router table. I mean, what does that even mean? Um, um, and so I would just wander around the hospital. I just did random projects for other people. And I really liked that aspect of the job was just finding people that needed help and helping them out. And one thing I, I, I don't know if this is correct or not, but one thing I thought was, you know, if I get a PhD, I'll, I'll be able to be my own boss. It'll be harder for people to have leverage over me to tell me to do things like load printer paper into the printer. Because that's not what I was like. I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could advance in some corporate hierarchy, but I just assumed that if I got a PhD, that would give me a that would get me there faster. To not having to load printer paper for other people for forever, and I'd be done with it. And so that was a kind of a big motivation for me was uh, I really just wanted to be someone who was my own boss. And I, and I I don't know if this is correct or not, but I just assumed at the time that a PhD would help me get there.
0: So so did you enjoy being your own boss in the end? I guess you you've done your PhD now. You're doing statQuest. Yeah. So.
1: What well, I I love it. I absolutely love it uh, it's, it's really a dream come true. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It's not what I was expecting. I would do, you know, when I, when I, uh, when I went into a graduate school, what I assumed was, you know, I would become an academic researcher and I'd have, and I'd be doing like cutting edge research on algorithm development. And we'd be creating new algorithms for, you know, I don't know, doing new stuff and doing new analyses and maybe inventing statistics on the way. And I just imagine, you know, I'd have a group of like young scholars, like you know, future PhDs or grad students or college students, they'd be coming through and I'd teach them a few things and then they'd work on a project. And I just assumed that was the way it was going to be. And it's very surprising to end up uh with, with that not happening at all. And instead me having a YouTube channel, I'm super happy with it though. And I actually think it's a better fit for me because I think if I was in a in a in an office building or an academic setting, I wouldn't be able to play as much music during the day. If I pulled up my guitar in the middle of the afternoon and started strumming, I'd probably kick me out of the building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I, I I really love it. And I and I love that I can um I can call my own shots and I can say, hey, I want to make a video on UMAP. And I can just make a video on UMap. I don't no one I mean Obviously, people make requests uh, on the channel, and people say, "Hey, it'd be great if you could do a video on UMap." And I think about it. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds interesting to me too." Uh, but I don't have to do anything. Um, I mean, I have to make money, but uh, but I get to make the decisions on how I'm going to make that money. Uh, no one, no one tells me I have to load printer paper into the printer, except for me. And and occasionally I do. I don't print out much, but occasionally I do print out, and it's nice to tell myself to do it.
0: Don't you feel also, obviously it's nice because you decide everything you can do, but don't you feel some kind of pressure? Like, um, I don't know. Well, everything is on you, right? If you well yeah. if you decide to sleep one day, then there is nothing. No one is going to do the work. Everything is on yeah. you and you're responsible to yeah. your subscribers. So isn't this pressure like stressing you or... Yeah, that's an excellent
1: point, actually. That's something m- not many people talk about, right? When they talk about starting your own business or being doing YouTube, when you think of like your YouTube channel, your favorite YouTube channel guy or person or whoever it is, uh, you think of them just having a great time all the time and not them thinking about like, you know, how am I actually going to pay the bills? And, you know, is this is this is this enough money just to not just for right now, but am I can I save money f- to buy a house? can i save money for ret- retirement what if i get sick all those things that when you have a normal job you don't really think about that much because there's there's a steady paycheck that comes in every day and you can rely not every day but you know every month or every two weeks or whatever and you can rely on it to a certain extent um and yeah it is it's stressful it's it's stressful not always knowing and i also and i've talked to a bunch of people who have either have their own business or have their own youtube channel and they have a similar feeling of like of dread that one day it's going to end you know like youtube's going to collapse or something weird is going to happen and and the the fun and and the games that we're having right now and and exciting just going to go away and there's not going to be any money for us anymore there's there's this sort of this existential like it just seems a little unreal uh to be actually making money this way um and it seems it seems reckless and irresponsible to depend on it and to and to just expect it to work um so there is that stress uh and when i think about it yeah it's stressful but but oftentimes, to be honest, I I don't think about it. I'd say, I'd say most of the time I'm I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. And it's probably about 80% of the time I'm just I don't think about what could go wrong. <laughs> and I'm just like, hooray, this is the best job ever. And then 20% of the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how is this even possible? When is it going to end? I know it can't work this way for much longer because this is too much fun. Uh, so there is a little bit of, of dread in there as well. Cause it's like, how could anything so satisfying and so, uh, so rewarding, how could it seems, seems too good to be true. Right. And, and part of me does worry that maybe it is too good to be true, but, but I try it. I don't worry about it that much. It's really 80% of the time.
0: I'm like, hooray, this is so awesome. But <laughs> well, it's good that you really enjoy it. And yeah, yeah, that at least you seem to really enjoy what you do. Um, Going back to your PhD, so we mentioned you're doing your PhD in bioinformatics after your bachelor. Um, Is is this where you actually start to get into the world of stats, AI, machine learning? Is that when you start to learn about this? It is, actually.
1: uh, I didn't take uh, any statistics class or any data analytics class or anything like that until graduate school. Uh, and that I took, oh, golly, my first semester in graduate school, I took introduction an introduction to statistics for biology majors. And, and at the same time, I took graduate level statistical theory 101 or not even 101. It was probably like 6023 or something like that, taught by uh, this guy Roger Berger, uh, who's famous for writing this, uh, this book called Statistical Inference. So he basically wrote the book that pretty much mo- most people who are, you know, studying statistical theory learn. So I learned like I learned the theory of 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 how to like integrate a normal distribution before I even knew what to do with a normal distribution, like in terms of like a Z test or something like that. Like it was kind of a weird combination of things. Uh, because I'd never I'd never once done any statistics at all. And then all of a sudden I was taking both. I mean, they were both graduate school level classes, but one was for biology majors who were just like going to do t tests, and the other one was for statistics majors who were going to go on and be, you know, statisticians and create new statistics, and you know, they had to understand all this theory. Um, so it was a very strange uh, way to get exposed, but uh, but interestingly enough, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I I thought both classes were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they were nightmares. Uh, you know, the, the the statistics for biology is actually one of the worst classes I've ever taken in my whole life. A fist fight broke out in the middle of it one day. Um, it was just like the we had like three different teachers. Uh, they kept like, you know, the teachers just kept giving up. You know, they'd be like do teach like two weeks and they'd be like, you guys are the worst class I've ever taught. There was like 200 people in the class and we were jammed packed in this theater uh, that was barely large enough to fit us. Uh, and it was, it was hot. It was gross and people were rude. And like I said, fights would break out. Um, and it was just like, not a great environment for learning. And the teachers, I mean, I I mean, they were trying to do the best that they could, uh, because no one had really taught them how to teach. And they were just using the same book that whoever created this class a hundred years ago, that's the book they chose. The, The book was like the worst book I've I mean, I remember at the end of the semester, someone was like, oh, that's an important book. You should hold on to it. So I held on to it for one more semester. And I then I sold it as soon as I could afterwards, once I realized it was just terrible. So it was a terrible class. Uh, and I and I really did not like it. And I, but, 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 but uh, it, it did, did something to me in a very fundamental and, and important way in that it exposed me uh, to the concept of variation in data but also in the world. And, and in a way, even though that class was so terrible, the effect of it was, you know, like at the beginning of the wizard of Oz, you know, I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's a, it's a, it's a movie with this lady who lives in uh Kansas and she's uh, sucked up in a tornado and she lands in a magical land. Well, the first like 20 minutes of that movie are in Kansas and they're a black and white. And then she, you know, get sucked up in this tornado. And when she lands, the world is color. And that's the way variation, understanding the concept of variation seemed to be to me, right? Uh, All of a sudden I'd look at, I'd look at the grass and I'd go, look, all those little leaves of grass or blades of grass, they're all different sizes. Everyone's a little different. And I'd look at a bunch of trees and I go, look at all those trees. They're a little different. They're all a little different. I look at people and I'd start seeing differences where I used to just see similarities. And I felt like, I felt like all of a sudden everything had so much more life and vibrancy and uniqueness. Everything was different. Uh, And the cool thing about statistics, you know, not only did I think it was cool to finally be observing all these differences, but statistics gave me a way of quantifying and sort of dealing with the differences and making use of those making use of that variation so i can decide how much <clears throat> excuse me so i can decide how much confidence i should make i should have in my predictions or whatever my what findings are my results and so i that was transformative is that sort of my opening my eyes to to variation was, was a very huge thing and and I'm really glad I took that horrible class because who knows, uh, uh, maybe I would, I'd be, you know, everything would be different. But I took that horrible class and I made it through. And halfway through, I was like, wait a minute, everything's different everywhere. And I was like,
0: wow, This I've been enlightened. <laughs> so, so you didn't like your first few classes, but then you still enjoyed the overall concept of statistics and you continued learning more about that. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I had to take a full year of statistical theory and a full year of sort of like applied statistics. And I'm going to be honest, all those classes were terrible, but they gave me the tools sort of to start learning on my own. Um the other tool and this was much more helpful for me was and this and I will admit not everyone has this fancy tool, is my dad um my dad used to do statistics when he was younger and He'd had a really great teacher, um, <clears throat> this guy named uh, Jim Grizzle, who used to teach at UNC. Uh, he was my dad's teacher in statistics. And and he, I, my dad had a had a way, and Jim Grizzle had a way of thinking about statistics in terms of the big picture. And so whenever they would talk about statistics, they'd always say, Don't just learn recipes that solve specific problems. Always think about the big picture. Think about general concepts, general things. Don't just think about, you know, these real specific, like the T-test versus ANOVA. Think about the big picture and realize that ANOVA is just a generalized T-test, you know, and that all, both of them are just variations on the theme of regression. And so they had this way of saying you know, when I'd been in these classes and you're like, we're going to learn the T test. And then we'd learned ANOVA, And it was as if, as if we'd learned something completely different. And then we learned regression and you're like, and it was, if we'd done something completely different again, and then we did like multiple regression and it was like a completely different thing all over again. Whereas they're actually all the same and they can all be boiled down to the exact same equation, which is just a ratio of variations. And it just boils down to variation. So, um, you know, that to me, <clears throat> when my I had my pop sort of pushing me, saying, think about the big picture, think about the main idea, think about variation. I mean, obviously, I was attracted to the concept already, and he was pushing me further in that direction. And so sort of with my dad, I was able to uh, start understanding what statistics really was all about. And ra- rather than just a bunch of individual recipes, I saw it as basically the study of variation in data
0: that's a super good point i think like caring about the concept and not really caring about the technical details like deep technical details you need to understand the concept it's a bit like encoding right um, lots of people tell me do i need to learn python do i need to learn matlab do i need to learn r and in the end you just need to understand Understand the concept. Understand how coding works. And if you know one language, you will adapt quickly and know the others as well. You just need exa- to, yeah, get used that's to. That's
1: exactly right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's just like it's like learning the main ideas of the language. Learning a for loop. Learning a function call. If you can, even you know, learning what an array is or a variable. If you've got those basic ideas, you can learn any language. And it's not like Python versus R. It's just like whatever whatever the tool is, I'm going to use that best tool, whatever
0: the best one is. So you do your PhD or you get into the world of statistics, you learn about variation and you become passionate. And after that, you actually decide to continue in the research field. You do a postdoc and then you work as an assistant in a lab, I think. So do you want to talk a bit about this part of your life where you work in a lab and what did you do there?
1: Yeah. So at the time, um, uh, you know, when I was graduating from graduate school, when I had my I was getting my Ph.D., I just I like I said, I assumed I'd be a professor at a university with a lab and doing all kinds of cutting edge stuff. Um, uh, And this is kind of interesting because I I loved music so much. I wanted to be in Chapel Hill. Uh, this small town uh, in the state I grew up in—it's actually the town I grew up in—but there's a, there was a lot of musicians there that I knew very well, and I really I kind of wanted to move back uh, to Chapel Hill so I could uh, play more music. So I had in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to go there for music, but but I really wanted to go there, and I I don't I don't know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I I, I wasn't I like doing research, but I would I didn't love doing research, uh, and so I got this postdoc opportunity, um, with an amazing guy, Terry Magnuson. He was my boss for, um, for 13 years. And he, you know, I just, I, I, I didn't even appreciate how awesome the opportunity was, uh, uh, when I first got it, but, but I knew it was where I wanted to be. And I had a great, when I interviewed with them, I felt like they were just like, it was going to be my kind of place because, Terry was just like, I want you to figure out what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. In fact, I don't even know what you can do because I'm, I'm not a computational person. I'm a mouse geneticist. You know, I've, I've worked on this thing called epigenetics. I know a lot of laboratory techniques and I'd be happy to teach you laboratory techniques, but he said, you're the expert in computing here. and So you need to figure out what you want to do. And I was like, that's the place for me because that means I'm on my old boss, you know? And I was like, this is this is a dream come true. Um, so I was really excited and, and I kind of jumped right into research and I did it and it was fun, but my it didn't grab my passion the way variation did. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I thought it was like this is what I'm doing and it's cool, and we're gonna improve science and we're gonna expand our knowledge a little bit. Um uh, but I I wasn't really it didn't it didn't really grab me and 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 this was a problem because Um, when I published or when I tried to publish, uh, you know, you'd, you'd write a manuscript with your latest research and you submit it to the journal and, and the journal, the, the editors write back and go, you know, this is terrible, you know? And I'd be like, okay, where at the, now that's a very unusual attitude to have. Usually when you submit your thing. You know, and they come back and they go, this is terrible. You go, no, it's not. Let me tell you why. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and mine was like, oh, they think it's terrible. Okay, well, maybe they're right. I don't know. I mean, it, that's how you could tell my heart really wasn't in it. You know, I didn't feel like it was worth fighting for. Um, And at the same, but I. so at the same time I was doing that, uh, I was trying to teach the, my coworkers, you know, because I was like the lone data analytics, lone computational guy in the whole group. And I was trying to teach them how to do what I was doing. And so I started making videos uh, to, to, to help with that. Uh, I, I like the videos cause you could do little animations, you know, so I could show you sort of like, you know, here we're, you know, I'm, here we're fitting a line to data, and you can kind of show an animation of how that line gradually moves and it fits the data better. And you can see how the residuals are shrinking, you know. And I was like, "This is so cool! I can draw these little animations, and we can get a sense of like what's really going on." The goal is to we start we start with a crummy fit, and we've got massive residuals. And you're like, clearly that's a terrible fit. But as we move that line and rotate it and change its slope and y-axis intercept, you can see those residuals shrinking down. And you're like, yes, yeah, that's obviously a better fit, you know. And that's Again, what we're doing is we're trying to reduce the variation around the line. We're trying to minimize that variation. And um, and I could show that. And it's like, oh, I you know, so I I, I thought doing videos was a, was a great way to explain variation and a great way to explain how statistics works. And so I started making these videos. Um, and as you know, ultimately, uh, the channel took off and I ended up leaving my job to, to do the the YouTube full-time.
0: So, so okay, so this is, in your lab, you actually started StatQuest in around f- 2015. And yeah. at some, at which point do you actually decide, okay, um, now StatQuest is getting bigger, I need to leave my lab and focus on this completely? Like, yeah. when do you decide? Yeah,
1: I can tell you exactly when that was. That was uh, just over two years ago. And what had happened is, uh, you know, although my research in the lab was, was, was not really something I was passionate about, I really love helping people. I'm very passionate about helping people. I love it. It's very satisfying. There's something, there's nothing, I don't know, for me, everybody's different. But for me, it's incredibly rewarding to help someone out. And I was helping people out left and right. And that was great. And I found that very satisfying. And I went home from work every night. And I was like, yay, I did something awesome today. I helped people. Um, but what was happening was uh, the lab itself started to shrink. Uh, you know, people would leave the lab for other jobs. Blah, you know, they had a, whatever their reasons were, uh, the lab started started getting smaller. And, and it, after a while, it was just a, just a handful of people that I'd already taught all my tricks to. I already taught them statistics. I already taught them how to code. Uh, I already taught them how to do, you know, run things on a computing cluster or in the cloud. They already knew all my tricks and there wasn't a lot of help I needed to be doing uh, with people or I, I just didn't need to help people. That was, I, I worded that very awkwardly. Well, <laughs> you know, I, it was, I was running out of options for helping people. And, and at the same time, my channel was going up. And I remember I had a, you know, I, I used to meet with my boss every other week. I mean that's a great boss, right? Every other week he's like he just wants to check in and hear what I'm doing, you know. But other than that, I just did what I wanted, and I and we were talking, and I and he and I said, you know, uh, I've I've been here for 13 years and I I love this, but but I can't help people as much as I'd like uh, because people don't need my help, you know. I've kind of like worked my way out of a job, which is good and good. They they don't need my help, that's great, but bad in that I didn't feel like I had anything to do. And he says, well. Well, if you want to keep working here, uh, then your other option is to do research, you know, and develop your own research program. And I was like, you know, my my heart is has never been into research. I always thought it would be, but it wasn't. Um, And I knew my heart was in StatQuest at that point. I It wasn't making hardly any money at all. I actually did the math and I was making less money per hour than somebody who bags groceries. So when you buy your groceries, there's a person sometimes not always that puts your, 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 whatever you bought into a bag and that's all they do. Um, I was making less money than those people. Um, but I'd saved up some money from my job. I was making less money uh, from doing YouTube, but I'd saved up some money for my job. And I said, you know, my heart really is in YouTube. So I'm going to, that's what I want to do. And he goes, okay, that's great. Uh, I want you to leave the lab in two weeks. And I remember I just cried, you know, I'd been there for, I'd been there for 13 years and I loved my boss. Uh, he was, he was just so great. And he encouraged me to do all this stuff. Uh, you StatQuest would not exist without Terry Magnuson. Uh, he was, he encouraged me every step of the way and he helped me out. And he was, I mean, he was great in every level. He was really good at helping me learn how to do StatQuest well, because whenever I try to explain something to him, he'd always be like, it doesn't make any sense. Try harder. And I'd go, okay. And I'd go back and I'd try to, I'd, I'd redo the slides and redo the pictures. And he'd, and I'd bring it back to him. And he goes, I still don't understand what you're talking about. Try harder. You know? So he really drove me to develop my style and develop my technique in terms of clearly explaining things. And he it was really, and I, I didn't want to leave him. It was such an amazing experience. I just cried. Um, and I was really nervous, obviously, cause I was, I mean, like I said, I, I was working like all day, all night on StatQuest, but I wasn't making hardly any money. Um, but I just jumped off that cliff and it was very scary. And I wrote a song about it called, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, that kind of captures all of my emotions that I had at that time. And and yeah, it was, uh, oh, wow. It was, it was very scary, but ultimately it worked out. I had a rough start that first six months on my own. Um, and, the, and I've actually been told this is very common uh, for people who kind of jump off uh, the deep end, you know, into the, into the deep end is that you start off and you're not making any money. So you panic or I panicked. And so I started doing consulting. I did a ton of consulting, and in fact, I was doing so more, so much consulting that I was actually working on StatQuest less. Now that I was doing it full time, than when I, you know, with had another job and I and I did it full, you know, I did I had, had the other job full time, and I just did StackQuest as a side project. Um. So, um. Anyways, I I was like, wait a minute, I can't do I can't do consulting. I mean, consulting is fine; it's bringing in money. That's good. But that's not the goal. The goal isn't to bring money in from consulting. The goal is to make StatQuest work. And so I made these. I made PDF study guides. I did a couple of webinars, and I and I gradually r- ramped up my income enough. Uh, and my goal for my first year was to match my original postdoc salary. So 13 years ago, or at this point, 15 years ago, I wanted to match the salary that I'd had back then when I was just starting a, a postdoc position. And I was ultimately able to m- match that in my f- after my first year. And it was very scary, uh, but that was the goal. And I hit it and I was like, good, we're good to go. I, I I know how to make this work and I don't have to
0: consult all the time. So that was two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, that was two years ago. Cool. So yeah, very, very interesting story. And yeah, I can imagine that it should be quite scary to leave everything and focus on stat quests. We we've talked a lot about stat quests. I guess a lot of us and a lot of the listeners are familiar with stat quests, but others might not be. So can you maybe explain in a high level view what is stat quest? What is your YouTube channel doing essentially? Yeah.
1: So uh, what StatQuest is, is a way, you know, I try to teach machine learning, data science, and statistical concepts uh, in a way that is both intuitive, but also, you know, thorough and detailed. It has all the details. The catch is I use pictures for almost everything. I don't just, I don't start with a bunch of complicated mathematical equations and say, look at this math shouldn't it be obvious? No. What I do is I try to come up with geometric interpretations of everything and I draw pictures of everything. And I found, you know, it's like what we were talking about earlier, how with a video you can kind of show, you know, if you're fitting a line to data with linear regression, you can kind of show how when the line doesn't fit the data very well, the residuals are very big. And as you rotate that line and you change the slope and the y-axis intercept. Those residuals shrink, and and when you do it that way, and you say, you know, all we're doing is we're trying to minimize these residuals, it becomes much really obvious. And then, once you have that understanding, you've got what I I I call it a scaffold. Once you have that basic understanding, you can visualize how the process works. Then you can start learning the mathematical details behind it. If you're interested, you don't have to. Usually, what I do is I break my videos into main ideas which I think are the most fundamental concepts. And then I and then I do a follow-up sort of mathematical details thing. So if you want to like learn more or you want to come up with an algorithm that is bigger and better than the one I'm describing, uh, you might be interested in learning the mathematical details. But I try to focus on the main ideas first. And that gives you what I'd call a scaffolding that you can then uh, apply all the mathematical details and, and, and it's much easier to understand the equations look really fancy, but when you think about them in terms of the scaffold and the main ideas that you learned before it, you, it's usually easy to break that equation down into like, Oh, this part of the equation controls the slope of the line. This part controls the, uh, the intercept and, um, you know, and you're like, Oh, I I see how all these pieces, can fit together in what looks like a complicated way to give me uh, sort of the the math behind the visual intuition uh, that I provide. So I guess that was a lot longer than I was expecting it to be, but that's the idea of StatQuest is to be the visual and help you understand the main ideas and focus on those main ideas. But also if you're interested You can also use it to learn the mathematical details that sort of underlie a lot of modern machine learning and and data science
0: so you've got now like over 700 i think around 700k subscribers i went to what to check the numbers yesterday what do you think like why statquest why do you think that people like statquest so much and i can i'm watching a lot of videos so i want to share my view as well but i first want to get your view like why do you think it has such a big success?
1: Uh, you know, I mean, I think part of that success is attributable to my old boss, Terry Magnuson, and how he always pushed me harder to make it easier for him to understand. He was, he was very stubborn. He'd be like, nope, I don't understand it. Try harder. <laughs> you know, and and so that, that training uh, and that practice uh, was very helpful. Uh, I also have, um, you know, like I was talking about the the scaffolding or whatever, I, I feel like every everything needs context. And for me, I need to understand things in, in context. And so what I do is I try to, when I do my videos, I try to make them story, like stories. Like I set up, you know, like if you watch a, a, a silly romantic movie, they all kind of have the same format of, Um, people are, are, you know, having, you know, okay lives, but not things aren't working out the way they want. And what they really want is to fall in love with somebody and they meet someone who's great and it's so fantastic. But then there's something that is just getting in the way of them being the perfect couple. And they both have to go and learn something about themselves. Either, you know, maybe one of the persons is too stubborn and the other person is, is doesn't stand up for themselves enough, you know? And so they've got these problems and they have to overcome these problems. And at the end of the movie, they've, they've done it and they get back together and it's like happily ever after. I try to do, I try to teach data science and statistics and machine learning in the exact same way of like, yeah, everything's awesome, but what about this problem? What are we going to do here? How are we going to solve that? And so we start thinking about, you know, why other methods don't work in this situation and, and then we go, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? Well, we're going to, you know, here's, you know, I start going through sort of different approaches, different ways we could do it. And ultimately we solve it, you know, and, and I think, I think, I think the narrative of it helps pro- give people intuition, helps provide people understanding of not just like what's happening, but why we're doing it, why they do it this way. And there, and you get all this, like, you don't just get like a. A real surface understanding, even though it's pictures, you get actually, you actually get a really deep understanding. At least that's what I'm shooting for is to provide people with a really deep understanding of what's going on without it seeming like I'm just hitting them over the head with a really thick book. I wanted to make it entertaining and I want to make it sort of exciting once the solution is found.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's like really visual. Well, you put a lot of emphasis on the visualization. And so we see the equations, but we also see we can visualize things and understand concepts better. So, I think it's like the first thing, it's like very well explained. But I think there are some other things, like it's also a bit funny, like every time, <laughs> have this, um, yeah. triple bam, right? Which is always great. There is this song at the beginning, and also something that I think is great. I mean, it's just an effect. I, I don't even know if you're doing this. But every time I watch one video, I see the next one that's recommended to me and I click on it and then I see another one and another one. And I just wanted to watch one video and I end up watching 10 because there is always something closely related to your content, another video. And you say, oh, actually, I don't know this. I need to learn about this as well. And so, yeah, I just think really a big fan of the channel. Um,
1: Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you like it.
0: Like, what would be your advice for someone who wants to launch their own YouTube channel? Asking for a friend. I've also just started launching one. So for me and for everyone else, like, what would be your advice?
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, there's very different approaches to starting a YouTube channel. And uh, some people have very analytical approaches, you know, where they... A B test all their thumbnails and they A B test their material, you know, and they they get they they like apply data science to their data science channel, you know, and they're and they're all about they love optimizing things and 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 that 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 stuff. Um, you know, for me, I've never really thought about that stuff. Uh what I think about is specifically trying to solve or help people. Uh, I try to think about what's the best way that I can help someone solve a problem or how, what's the best way that I can help somebody. Um, and so I focus uh, on, on the, on the, on the, on the viewers. And it's not about, I'm not trying to trick them into uh, watching a video that they may or may not inter- be interested. And in. I try to be very upfront about what the content is going to be. And the goal is to help people understand. And and, and when I started StatQuest, uh, the StatQuest, like I said, was, the idea was to help my coworkers. Um, I wanted them to understand what I was working on and, and how it worked, and that it wasn't magic. And so, uh, all I wanted to do was make videos that that they that the the ten people that my coworkers were by the just the ten people that they could watch. And so, if I got ten views, that meant a hundred percent of the people that I was trying to reach watched my videos, and that is a hundred percent success. You know, and so my. Um, so it really just depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, if you're just, if, if, if you want to make a huge channel and make a lot of money, there's a lot of different ways to do that. If you want to help people, uh, I guess the question is you have to identify the people you want to help. And that's what I did. That was very easy. Those were my coworkers. I've got to identify what problems they had. And that was also easy because they were my coworkers and they were saying, Starmer, here's my data. How do I do correlation? You know, what's an R squared, you know, they're asking me questions like that and they were my coworkers. So that was, those are the problems they need solved. Um, They needed to be solved. And so it was very easy and obvious for me as to how to build my channel because my channel was for them. And over time, obviously it grew and I don't work there anymore and I don't have my coworkers, but the philosophy is still the same uh, when people put comments or whatever, they're like, I want to learn about this, or they'll send me an email and say, I want to learn about this. It's just as if like my coworkers were coming to me and saying, how do you do R squared? What does that even mean? Um, and I can't, obviously I can't do what everybody tells me. I get, I get tons of recommendations every day. I see the trends, you know, and I see what a lot of people are asking for. And, 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 uh, so I'll, I'll I'll do it, and I, I just love learning, and and so that's, you know, I love I love learning, and I love helping people, and I feel like that's what I'm doing when, when I'm responding to the audience when when they when they're like, we need to learn this, and I'm going, well, okay, I'll teach it, but I'm all, I, but I've never even heard of it before, so I have to learn it first. So that's how I got into machine learning. My background's in statistics, and I never really did any machine learning uh, until I was at a conference. And this guy, this chemist, came up to me and he goes, "You're data right?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "What's a random forest?" And I go, "I don't know." And uh, and so I uh, I was like, "But I'll make a video about it." And and so I uh, I went home and I I looked up random forests and I realized that they are just a lot of decision trees. And I was like, "Well, I don't even know what a decision tree is." So I my very first sort of machine learning or data science video was a a, a video on how decision tree works. And I learned it as I made the video. Um, yeah, it's very fun, but for other people, I, I, like I said, my way, my path, uh, to having a relatively successful YouTube channel, is just one of many. And a lot of people take very different paths, um, and are much more systematic about it. And, you know, and, and I, they may achieve their goals faster than I have, um, I just know that, that the way I, I did it is very satisfying, and I've enjoyed the journey very much. And I'm, and I just, I think I'm the luckiest person ever that I can now say that that's actually what I do for a living.
0: No, that makes sense. So focus on the viewers and focus on the content, and then you should do well, or at least that's kind of your path, I guess.
1: I that's how I that's how it worked for me is you know, it was word of mouth. People were, people were like watching. I had a PCA, a video on how PCA worked and, you know, and people were like, well, I I have trouble with the math and it doesn't make any sense to me. But when I watched this video, it made a lot of sense. So I'm going to share this with all my friends in class, you know, that are taking the same class. And I I just think it kind of took off on its own that way.
0: Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, just want to say a quick word on your book. You're now also writing a book yeah. on stats yeah. and machine learning. So do you want to talk about this briefly? Like, when is it going to be released? What is it going to be about? Yeah.
1: So I'm really, really, really excited. I, I'm, I'm working on, for the past year, a little over a year, almost a year and a half, I've been writing a book called The Stat Quest Illustrated Guide to Machine Learning, And I'm hoping it will come out in May 2022. So just about two months from now. Uh, I'm in the very final stages of editing uh, the book. Um, I'm really excited about it. It covers all kinds of topics. It starts at the very, very, very basics. You know, what is machine learning? What is the goal of machine learning? Why would anyone do it? And it goes from there. We do, we cover you know, basic statistics. Um, and then we talk about basic, you know, we do linear regression, like logistic regression, naive Bayes, um, uh, support vector machines, decision trees, and neural networks. We end with a chapter on neural networks and it's, and I just love it because it's, it's got everything in one place in a kind of coherent way that builds on itself. Um, uh, I'm super proud of it. Is I uh, you know, if you'd asked me even three years ago if I was gonna write a book, I'd say, no, why would I write a book when I do everything on video? Um, but the book is a, is is it's you could do different things with a book. And and it's and I know for a lot of people, uh, learning from a video is not ideal. Learning from a book is is better. They can take their own time. Um, they can circle things, they can mark it up. Um and and so different people learn different ways. And by writing this book, I'm able to help people in ways that I wasn't able to help before. Um, and so I'm really excited about this book. It's I'm so proud of it. I, I'm i I just I don't know. I'm re- I just like I can't believe it. I actually wrote a book. It doesn't make any sense. How is that even possible? I I mean I writing a book. I'm not a great writer. I'll be honest. Um, And so, but I always thought, wow, writing a book would be cool. But I, but how do you write 300 pages? I mean, that just sounds overwhelming. But so what I did is instead of writing 300 pages, I drew 300 pages. So every page of my book is like a comic book. And I even have little characters. I got a stat squatch and I got this guy called the normal Saurus, and they, you know, they, they interact and, and it's all done visually. And the emphasis is ju- just like my videos. The emphasis is on. The pictures and sort of developing intuition. The math is there. Don't worry. Um, but the emphasis on, on the pictures and developing intuition and then diving into math when it's appropriate. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's just like reading a comic book. Uh, and so I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm so when I say it's the stat quest illustrated guide to machine learning, it in fact, genuinely is illustrated every page has probably four pictures. So, and it's a little over 300 pages long. So we're talking like 1200 pictures, um, uh, in this book. Uh, I'm super excited about it. And like I said, we're on the final steps, stages, uh, final part or whatever. Anyways, right now I'm doing, I'm finishing up something called technical editing. And what that is, is, um, I've had a, a, a pass, a pass with an editor, like a professional copy editor, who was like, "You put the comma in the wrong place," you know. "You wrote the sentence backwards." You left out the verb. You know. I had someone fix all a lot of stuff there, and then I sent it out to technical editors, and these people are checking to make sure the math is correct, um, and they're also um, they're just giving me advice on technical things. Am I using the right colors? Uh, I, uh, I've got I've got someone who's who's like a I actually don't know but they I don't actually know this person. They're just a fan of StatQuest but they they seem very good with design and colors and understanding how people perceive things and they're helping me like make the they're good pictures. I mean, I'm proud of them, but they're making them even better, you know. And so we're in this state process of sort of like just polishing it and and taking all the rough edges off and making sure that Every concept really is clearly explained and there's no little silly thing getting in the way of people understanding from the book. So I uh I've got probably another month of that and then and then we'll publish everything. And I
0: cannot wait. I'm so excited. Cool. I can see that you're very excited. Yeah, let me know once <laughs> once it's out. I will definitely buy it. And All right. yeah, let's just finish maybe with one question, like one career advice that you have for someone who wants to progress in their career? Like if you had just one advice, what would it be? Well, yeah,
1: I'll give you the exact same advice my old boss, Terry Magnuson gave me. And that was, um, well, he had a different way of wording it. And his advice is, um, you, have to, you have to do what's the most important thing for you to do. And. That's a, that's a weird piece of advice. It's very complicated and it's very rich, um, but it means, I mean, in a way we we're on this earth and some people think we've got multiple attempts, you know, we're going to die and we'll come back and we can try again or whatever. Uh, but regardless of your, your perspective of it, you know, we're here now. And I, I think, I think what we can do is uh, the only thing we can do or, the, or what we sh- what we should do. Is the best we can, and the and the best we can is to do the most important thing we can. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're super smart and super good at at something, and you know, you try to take advantage of those talents in a in a way that maximizes their effectiveness, and and maximizes the importance of you having those talents. Uh, you know, you have them. Uh, let's, let's do something important with them. Um, I I feel like it's all coming out of my mouth wrong, but for me, um, you know, it's like, I could be doing a million things right now. I could be, I could be sitting on the beach in the sun and it's, I'll be honest, I'll be honest. It's important for me to, to relax from time to time, but relaxing is not the most important thing I could be doing with my time. You know, relaxing is important and it's necessary and without it we will die. Uh, So it is important, but most of the time I don't need to be relaxing. There's something more important I could be doing with my time, and I've I feel like I found it, or I found something that's close to it. Maybe I haven't found the most important thing, but I found something that I know is important, and I can spend my time on it. And I know I'm spending my time in a way that's productive and helping people, and is and is you know it's important. Uh, and it's not just me sitting around on the beach, uh, and I I feel like if if you kind of look around, uh, you know, when you're early in your career, there's a lot of different ways paths you could take, and there's a lot of uh, different things you could do, and and, and you you're not going to know immediately what the most important thing you could do with your time is that that's impossible to know when you're just starting out, uh, but select things that give you the ability to to try you know, select options or paths that allow you to, to find out what that most important thing is. And once you find it, cling to it and just go for it, um, you know, jump off that cliff and, and hope, you know, make it work because that is the most important thing you could be doing. You know, it's worth that scary. Like, am I actually going to be making money? And maybe, maybe it'll work. It might not, but at least you've given it a try. And at the end of the day, you can say, well, I did the best I could. And I tried to do the most important thing I could do. And maybe I can't make it. Maybe I can't make a living doing it. So I'm going to, I'll find something else that's pretty good. And I'm going to spend my free time doing that important thing. You know, it's like you got to, you got to find a way to do what's important. Um, And step one, you got to find that important thing. But, uh, and so when you're early on, try to make decisions and select options. That'll that give you that freedom to try new things that give you the freedom to kind of figure out and discover what is the most important thing for you to be doing
0: well, Josh, thanks so much. That was a great advice, yeah, thanks a lot and yeah, it was really an honor to have you on this podcast so thanks a lot. Uh, I learned a lot from you, and yeah, have a good day or evening in the u s and <laughs> hope to see you very soon yeah.
1: Thank you very much, Neil. It's a real pleasure being here. And I thank you for your patience and, and, and thanks. Yeah, again, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you.